Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the inside take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, their career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Guillermo. David Castaneda stars in the Netflix series, The Umbrella Academy, based on the popular comic book series of the same name. It tells the story of an unlikely group of superheroes, seven kids all born on the same day by moms who didn't even know they were pregnant. The seven are adopted by an eccentric billionaire named Hargreaves, who discovers their unique powers and raises them, along with her nanny, robot mom, to be protectors of the world. Castaneda plays Diego, or number two, whose skills include an amazing ability to throw knives. I talked to Castaneda about how good he really is at throwing knives, about how he's been spending time painting, doing puzzles, and binge-watching The Bachelor, about what superhero power he'd really like to have, and about how he cried as a kid the first time he saw Titanic. A quick note, because of COVID-19 and shelter in place, our conversation was recorded over the internet. So be prepared if the audio sounds a little bit quirky. So David, I am a fan of season one of the Umbrella Academy. And why don't we have you give our listeners an overview of what Umbrella Academy is about? Well, the Umbrella Academy is uh, is about 43 unexpected births uh, on October 1st, 1989. And uh, this uh, very rich philanthropist uh, named Reginald Hargreaves decides to go on a mission to find as many as possible. And he ends up getting seven uh, all over the world. And he raises these prospects to hopefully be protectors of the world. And uh, when future disasters come about, and that is pretty much what he expects, but also his tactic in how to get to his objective is very much through uh, military uh, training and very much in, in, in a world where love is absent and creates a trauma for these children who are in dire need of it. So it's fair to say it's a very unusual approach to your typical, you know, kind of superhero story, if you will, in that really it's about a dysfunctional family brought together through an odd set of circumstances and and through no, you know, uh, no fault of their own. They're just put together in these circumstances, as you say, and I guess exploited for their very unique abilities. And over the course of season one, we see them come together and really become a family. And I'm curious, you didn't work with your co-staff here on the show beforehand, I would imagine. And what was that process like, becoming a family on screen and coming together as a cast? I I think the, you know, the parallels between what these characters were left off and where we're starting to see them in the first episode of season one, and very much it helped the fact that we didn't get to know each other prior. I believe we had done about a week of rehearsals uh, when I showed up to Toronto. I remember it was was freezing, might've been somewhere in December. And the only person that I knew from the cast in terms of just visually was Ellen Page. Everyone else was was pretty new in my eyes, uh, only to know that all of them had probably, you know, I've been working on this in this craft for over 10 years. And I remember thinking, well, why didn't they test me? Why didn't we have chemistry reads? This is very weird. When you have a show with so many leads, you, it's, you have to get it right. 
And, and I believe that most of the times it's very conventional to have everyone come in and test and read and see if the chemistry is there. And, and Steve Blackman, I, I think he just knew. He knew how he wanted it to begin. And the, the beginning process was everyone kind of not really knowing each other. And when you're having siblings in the project and they're coming in and 13 years separated, you want that freshness. You want to feel like you don't know what this person is going to do. And, and obviously, as the episodes uh, you know, moved forward, you started seeing the chemistry kind of, uh, you know, kind of lit up the screen. And, and same way as people, we got to know each other. We got to interact with each other on the set or outside of the set. And it was great. Uh, you know, when you're dealing with uh, with such talented collaborators, you can't help but just feel uh, creatively fulfilled and free. Well, it, the estrangement definitely you get that sense from the first few episodes, but it, it yeah. the camaraderie builds, and as I say, you, you do seem to turn into a family. And certainly, that's I mean, I'm sure that's part of the excellent writing where we all become more vested in what happens to all of you together. But it was just definitely notable that there was a different vibe <laughs> as you were going along. Let's talk about your character. You've said, you know, you've done other interviews about working on Umbrella Academy that you were not familiar with, you know, the comic book before you um, signed on to do the project. And I'm curious, then what drew you to the role? Was it the material? Was it the fact that it was going to be this original series on Netflix? Was it the writer from, uh, you know, we have fans of My Chemical Romance? It was yeah. You know, I have never even read a comic book up until Umbrella came along as an opportunity. Actually, once the role came and I, I was, you know, they offered it, then I read all of the comics. All I knew was Fargo Legion. That's all I knew. And Fargo is is one of my favorite shows, if not my favorite show alongside Black Mirror. And I thought, you know, what an amazing uh, opportunity to work with people that, that have that pedigree. And Let, let's tell listeners about your character. His name is Diego. He goes by or, or number two uh, out of the group of siblings. And I'll just say he's the one to me among the siblings who all have, as I mentioned, some very unusual skills and kind of superpowers, who continues uh, using those skills to kind of be the, you know, the Batman kind of guy who goes out at night to fight injustice on his own, the only one of the group that does that. So tell us, from your perspective, who is Diego? Well, I, I think Diego is, it, it, he's trying to climb a hill. He was never given the credit of being good enough. And even though his father has recently passed, he's still trying to honor his dad's presence at that point where he's becoming very selfish. He's becoming extremely insecure. And so he feels like there's a, a way of helping others that helps himself, but it's very selfish. It's, it, it's not pure. By no means is he going out and giving out the rest of his bread to feed someone, he's doing it to make sure that he's noticed. And because his father never noticed him, that's the only way that he can make attention or ask for attention. And to me, that's who Diego is really to the bottom of it. The Batman aspect, the vigilante aspect are just byproducts of what we're seeing with this person and trying to uh, ask for attention. 
which is why I think in some other interviews you described him, and I'll use a nicer word, as kind of a jerk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a, he's a little bit, um, the only way he can get reaction out of people is by taunting them, I think. He doesn't really know how to communicate with love. So your skills are knife throwing and you can hold your breath indefinitely. And I understand that you yourself became quite a really good knife thrower so that you could throw real knives. How good are you? I'm, I'm decent enough to make an omelet. Uh, I, I wouldn't say I'm like, I, I wouldn't be beating you at a game of darts. Let's <laughs> put it that way. <laughs> but the only thing that I did worry about uh, was um, making sure that I just felt like they were an extension of my body. That was my responsibility as the, me portraying this character, because I never want to do anything and people watch it on screen and say, yeah, I don't feel like he, uh, I don't, I don't believe him right now, you know? <laughs> so I, I've only had summer camp experience trying to throw, um, you know, knives and there's definitely an art to it. Otherwise the, the thing hits the target and just goes splat. What was the secret to a successful throw? It, it's all on the grasp. At least in what what I learned, um, I try to watch some like specific like samurai videos of men handling blades, you know. And obviously, I you'd have to fact check this, but apparently, when when a samurai draws his sword, he's not allowed to put it back in to his uh, lock it back in place until blood has been drawn. I, and I wow. thought I found that so fascinating because when I was doing my research in terms of like why is Diego using knives? Why doesn't he use guns? And there's a, something very personal about knives. You know that when you have to stab someone, most of the times you are looking at that person directly in the eye. But when you're looking about when you're thinking about guns and a bullet, it's impersonal. It's far away. There's no retaliation. There is no uh, consequence to seeing that person suffer. And I think by training with knives and understanding Diego's way of thinking, just that note in itself, to me, correlated to the honor that came with, for example, samurai swords uh, and, and Diego using knives. There's something really personal about that. So I, I mentioned that season two has just been put up so people can go ahead and binge watch it. And the tagline is, time travel is messy. Uh, season one ends where the group decide to go back in time and change things up to right or wrong and prevent basically the end of the world. Uh, without giving us too many spoilers, tell us what, what season two is about. What kind of a journey are you taking us on? And how has your character changed? You know, five got us out of the apocalypse, you know, seconds before it exploded. And I, I think that the, the show kind of starts where everyone's been in a certain space and they've created a life of their own, living as individuals. And now I feel like rather than the first season, there was a, there was a hesitancy to come together in the first season. And I think in the second season, there's a yearning to uh, to come together now. They're, uh, they're very much in need of each other and they know it. They know that they need to come together, especially, you know, once the stakes are risen and everyone kind of seems to be in the same page. And I think for Diego in, in particular, it is very much about trying to understand his father. What Diego drives him this season is the possibility of changing an outcome that might change his childhood. 
and change who he is, make him somebody perhaps who is more honorable to start with. Yes. Yes, very much so. I'm, I'm curious about one last question about Umbrella Academy is there are Yay. people have unusual talents and skills and I encourage everybody to watch it. But if you could have a superpower, what would you like to have? Well, um, if, 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 if you were to ask me from like the show, for example, you know, Allison's power is pretty cool, but also can make you pretty lazy, pretty fast. Yeah. We need to tell people what Allison's power is. Well, Allison's power is uh, she's called the rumor. So she can rumor anyone to do whatever she likes. So uh, she could say uh, to a person standing next to them, I heard a rumor, you gave me your chair. And the person would literally get up and give the person the chair. Or she could say, I heard a rumor, you uh, jumped off a cliff. And that person would jump off a cliff. And obviously there is no restrictions to what the person receiving that rumor can or will do. I think that one would be very exciting, but also very dangerous. Um, another one, you know, I, you know, I, I'd like to, I'd like to um, live in maybe with the sixth sense of having a non-linear way of uh, seeing time. That would be interesting to maybe be able to jump into parallel universes and and be able to live everything simultaneously. Why is that what you'd pick? I mean, most people say, you know, I'd like to be able to fly or have super strength. I mean, personally, I'd love to have the power to speak any language and uh, communicate with anyone, sort of the universal anyone. translator from uh, Star Trek. But moving around <laughs> in time, the appeal yeah. there. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, well, I think that... I mean, I don't know if it's something that I'm like, say, like I would want because I, I feel like there's a possibility of getting there. Hopefully in the next hundred years, 200 years, I, I think that's a possibility um, through like meditation and, and just study of unlocking the mind. And I, I just believe that as humans, we are meant to evolve. And I, I just want to see what that is. I really want to see what, what that can do. Cause I had a friend of mine who told me once that eventually will be uploaded to computers. That scared me. Uh, and possibly the reason why it scared me was because I don't really care about living forever because then therefore if I'm going to see people die, but if I can live nonlinear, I can live in all these places at the same time. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what that would look like, but I've done certain things like, you know, gone to the Amazon and for like a month and, and done this, you know, spiritual retreat and being able to experience like a percentage of that. Well, that's very interesting. I'm going to switch tacks and go on a slightly lighter note. Everyone is stuck here in quarantine or most people are stuck in quarantine. And, you know, Netflix has been the salvation for lots of folks who are heavily into binge watching. What about you? Are you a binge watcher? What are you watching? Well, um, I've, uh, I did binge, I, I almost binged Ozark. Uh, I, was, I was close to it, but it, it did take me about, I, I would watch an episode a day because I know what happens. Uh, I love that show. Um, also, uh, instead of binging, I started buying a lot of puzzles. And, uh, and you know, I'm sad to say, but I would put on really interesting reality TV in the background as I solved these puzzles. It was just kind of comforting to have some kind of white noise in the background while I did puzzles. And uh, I painted a lot, you know, painted a lot. You're going to judge me on this one, Connie, but I, I just discovered The Bachelor. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to totally judge you on that one. I had to stop, Connie. But I, I did. I watched two <laughs> seasons and I just had to stop. And I haven't, I was like, this is not, yeah, this is going, we're going down the wrong path right now. 
this is what quarantine has come down to. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, I think you're the first person who's told me the bachelor lots of people have been watching like the great british baking show or something because they're also <laughs> you know going overboard in the baked goods but uh yeah the, the bachelor yeah <laughs> which well, you know it's a great thing because when you it's it's great because it opens up the conversation of just relationship dynamics with people around you so it's like would you do that is that normal or is that, you know, and I think there's something really fascinating about watching real people react real. Obviously it might be skewed a certain way, but there's something really fascinating about watching people's um, insecurities on screen live. I would say that bachelor is definitely an exercise in insecurity. So I'll give you that. <laughs> I would one say so. Sure. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. <laughs> worked in some films as well, Sicario, Day of the Soldado. And I'm curious about, you know, what what's the difference to you working on a movie versus now working on a series? I mean, obviously you have a, you're developing a character over a period of time, but I'm sure there's a lot of excitement to working on a film and just curious about how you approach the projects and if you have thoughts about one versus the other. I mean, I think the, the ability of working on Umbrella, it's, it's, it's similar to working on the films. You have a lot of time. Uh, I think, to prep the role, especially going into season two, I felt like I, I, I was prepping for a film, especially the last three months. It, it has been very similar because also even the cast, they're just so prepared. They're very light on themselves, but they take the work very seriously and they're extremely talented. And so I always felt like I was almost trying to uh, climb a hill. And when I was, uh, for example, when I was working on Soldado, the sequel for Sicario, uh, I felt the same way, you know, and, I, and I'd go into set and I would be, I was astonished by the fact that Benicio would come into my trailer and ask to rehearse and having someone at that, at that stage, asking someone who is starting to be like, do you mind rehearsing this with me? And I, I would, I, I would immediately say yes. And that same sense of openness to ask for a hearse and to say, Hey, I don't understand this. Do you want to help me out? Uh, you know, with the other castmates, uh, was always welcomed. It was, it was never a, um, I'm too good for this. Everyone really was trying to make the best, uh, the best thing. So it, it sounds like you're still, I mean, you view yourself as, you know, at the beginning of your career. And I, I imagine that you're starstruck sometimes Who who has given you the most moment of pause when you've met them. Um, there's something really interesting about when you're first starting is you, you're almost, you almost, you're almost very stubborn. You don't want to get affected by meeting very important people or very, you know, people that you respect because when you're young, you always have this insecure sense of self worth. And I would confuse it with, I, I can't be astonished by this person or in awe by this person because therefore I am under that person. And that was a very state of me not getting starstruck. And as I got older and as I became much more self, uh, you know, just much more calm and, and comfortable with myself, I was able to allow myself to just have just a deep respect for people that I've met. And uh, one, for example, was I got an opportunity to meet Damien Chazelle and uh, I was I spoke to him and we were talking and 
for, for a brief moment, uh, you know, I, once I finished having a conversation with him, I just kind of thought, I have no idea what I said to that man right now. No idea. <laughs> but I hopefully, hopefully, uh, I, I didn't come across as a fool. That was probably the only time that I remember. Cause even with, when I met Benicio, I was still in that state of, I belong here. I belong here. I belong here. I'm not going to be affected by the presence of someone that I've looked up to since I was a child. What did you want to be when you were a kid? Did you want to be an actor and be in movies? No, no, no. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to do some kind of movies. I, you know, like I wanted to be like a storyteller. You know, I went to, that's why I went to film school. Cause I just figured my, my parents would probably feel a lot more comfortable me being somewhat of a, under a, a company and being hired, you know, as, as someone that can be like a nine to five kind of thing. And I convinced them, I said, what if I just go into film production and I go as, as director? And they're like, okay, great. As long as you still major in business. And so I, my thought was, okay, I can, I can somehow convince myself that I could be a director and own a production company. And I was very lucky enough to just do a bunch of short films and student films and and, you know, one thing led to another. What was your favorite movie when you were uh, in film school or even growing up? Oh, uh, there was a few. So The Matrix was one of them. Big, big, big fan of The Matrix. Uh, Pulp Fiction, another one. What was another one that kind of like hit me like a ton of bricks? Oh, well, the first time I ever cried was Titanic. Have you ever seen that movie, Connie? Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> I have seen that movie. I'm sure you're not the only person who cried, but you cried. That is that is brilliant. That is genius. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. <laughs> Why did you cry? At the end, on the door scene? On the door scene, yeah, on the door scene. I remember I was living in Mexico and my godfather picked me up from my school and he said, get in the car. And I got in the car and I was like, where's mom and dad? And they're like, they're in uh, Mochis, which is like a city about an hour from there. And uh, we're going to go see them. And I was like, okay. And obviously I didn't know exactly why we were driving there, but that's fine. And we pulled up to the movie theaters and it was the closest movie theaters an hour away. And we pulled up and I remember feeling like I, it, it was almost like I got, the, you know, my, like someone unveiled my eyes and I was at this place. And to me, movie theaters were like a theme park. And uh, I went in and I, I, this was the first movie I saw in Mexico at a movie theater. And I was just blown away. And uh, when I saw that moment of them on the, on, you know, with Jack and Rose and, and the water and cold, you know, as a kid, you know, the only thing you have in your life is your parents and your family. So I just saw my mom and my dad and my mom letting go of my dad and my dad just falling in the water. And I was just a mess. I was a mess. <laughs> and I looked at my parents and I'm like, I love you guys. I love you guys so much, you know? <laughs> That's, that's a great, that's a great story. Uh, CNET is a tech site. What's your favorite piece of tech? Oh, um, what have I been really into as of lately? Well, uh, you can never go wrong with a good pair of headphones for music. I'm a big fan of, of music. So I, I have, uh, I have two that are that I'm very into. I'm very into obviously AirPods, which are very um, you know comfortable. But these other ones that I bought, these Bose, they, they kind of stick into your ear. Those are big. Yeah, is that is that that's that's kind of the tech question you're asking for, kind yeah. of. Yeah. I'm gonna tell you what else. Uh, I'm very much into. I you know I have an Xbox One. I I I started playing a little bit during quarantine. 
very much into the 2K basketball because there was no basketball season. So I kind of made it <laughs> a whole event to play a game, <laughs> you know, and now I can see why my nephews are into Twitch and they're into all of these little gadgets <laughs> where they just watch people play video games because I can see why I am so into just watching a regular sports event. <laughs> so you're, you're doing puzzles, listening to reality shows, and then you're gaming. Yeah, I'm pretty much living like a normal teenager, I'd say. I'm also, I'm going to just say, I'm also reading books, you know, I'm reading books, I'm writing poetry, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying. I just well, what are you reading this summer? Give us a title. Oh, man. Yeah, oh, give us a title. Great ones. So I'm reading Victory Frankl's The Meaning of Life, uh, Man's Meaning of Life, uh, Pieces of Her, uh, Moctezuma and the Sun, and, and, and uh, Moctezuma book. What else did I read? We'll start with that. Oh, and I started. I started reading uh, um, Oscar Wilde's. A, a lot of my sister gave me a bunch of his uh, his poems and his memoirs. So I've been reading that too. But that's well, about it. All right. Well, that's great. Look, I I like to play games too. So I'm not going to judge you on your gaming. So you know, when my mom listens to this, she's going to be like, "Oh, I thought you were busy. That's why you didn't want to come home." You know, and I just <laughs> need to make sure that I match the the events when she would text me. You know what I mean? Those those two got to match. <laughs> okay. That, that's pretty funny. The name of this podcast is I'm So Obsessed. And I think you've told us a lot of the things you're obsessed with, but is there anything you want to call out as to what you're obsessed with? I'm, I'm very much obsessed with seafood. I'm very much obsessed with the Lakers. And I'm very much obsessed with my upbringing. Seafood, as in eating or cooking? No, no, no. Yeah, as in as in as in Mexican seafood. As in Mexican seafood, I'm very much obsessed with that. Like ceviche, cóctel de camarón, callo de hacha. You know, all of these things. Oh, that that's all good. And your upbringing? Yeah, like like my every my like my family history. I am wildly obsessed by that. I, I like to figure out like where my family came from and their stories and a, a lot of the uh, questions when they would ask me if I can go back in time or where I go. And a lot of the times would just be to hang out with my like my ancestors and my grandparents and my parents and stuff when they were younger. Oh, that well, that brings us full circle to your superpower about being able to travel back and forth in time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good way to end it. David Castaneda, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today. Thank you, Connie. Thanks again to David Castaneda for talking with me. And thank you for listening. We hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, be safe.